And I'm going to read now from the scriptures. I'm reading from the book of Colossians. I want to read from chapter 1. I'm reading from verse 14 to the end of the chapter. If you have your Bible, if you can hear me, even if you don't see the words on the screen, then perhaps you could follow with me as we read together from the Word of God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh. For his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text tonight is found in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. And my theme this evening is entitled, The Christian's Great and Only Hope. Now, a few days ago, I was wondering what to preach this evening, being the second Sabbath night of 2021. So I prayed, Lord, guide me, uh, even here on the Friday during the minister's week of prayer. And immediately a wonderful phrase of seven words came into my mind. And if you look at the end of verse 27, you'll discover that phrase. It reads as follows, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And the thought came to me that that is the true Christian's great and only hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Now, the book of Colossians is a very precious epistle. It's one of Paul's prison epistles, four short chapters, totaling 95 verses, easy to read. But glory to God, it's full of loads of practical instruction and spiritual advice for the people of God. Remember, of course, as you read this epistle, the Apostle Paul is dealing with error, the error of Gnosticism. There were those Gnostics who came to Colossae and said they had secret light and they had secret truths to impart to those that would join an inner circle of individuals. And Paul realized that many of God's people were in danger of being deceived and in danger of being sidetracked away from Christ. So he picked up the pen under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and the uh, Holy Spirit led him to write this gem of an epistle to the church at Colossae. The Apostle Paul is fully aware of the fact that he stands as one of God's ministers. In fact, he calls himself uh, Christ's ministers. He says a faithful minister of Christ in verse 7. And then he talked in verse 23 about being a minister of the gospel, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. And of course, he was there to minister to the church, the saints of God at Colossae. And I want you to think of Paul as one who's been redeemed by the precious blood, one who's been reconciled to God, one who's been recruited into the Lord's service, one who's rejoicing even in the midst of suffering and persecution, and one who believes that his remit and his role is to preach to individuals, all men under heaven, heaven the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says in verse 25, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. If you look at your margin, that word to fulfill the word of God means to fully preach the word of God. And what is his message? What is the core and center of his message? At its heart, here's the pith and marrow of it. Here's the very center of it. And it's summed up in these words. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I want us to think of three things tonight. I want you to think of the essence of the Christian's hope. Uh, note, there's a, a certainty here. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, the word hope was used in the Bible 133 times. And what does it mean? I want you to think of a biblical hope of something that's sure and certain. You see, we use the word hope. Well, I hope I don't trip when I'm out walking. I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. I hope the markets rectify itself in time. I hope that this or that doesn't happen. I hope that they don't impeach Donald Trump. But the element when we say, I hope, in these contexts are that there's an element of doubt. There's no hope of certainty. Now, the New Testament doesn't use the word hope in that way. When the New Testament uses the word hope, there's nothing uncertain about it. In the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1 and in the verse 18, the apostle Paul uh, was able to uh, say this. Ephesians 1 and verse 18 he made this remarkable statement, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Know the hope of your calling. 
You see, the biblical hope is the assurance of reality that has not fully happened. It's a sure hope. It's a saving hope. It's a secure hope. It's a satisfying hope. It's a hope that oozes confidence. It's a hope that's based in truth. A, a, a hope promised by the God of truth. A hope that, that can be known. And known in three areas. Known intellectually. You see, God's hope is objective. It's a reality based in truth. It, it can be known experimentally. That hope is subjective. It's real. It's something that you can take hold of, something that you can know for certain. It also can be known emotionally because that hope produces certain things. It certainly produces joy and peace and steadfastness, even in the midst of trial and trouble, even in the face of death, even the reality of having hope of meeting God in the judgment. And you see, this biblical hope helps you to remain calm in the midst of the storms of life. It helps you to remain focused, even in the darkest of days, even in the most difficult of times. Could I say to God's people tonight, a hope that will not fail you. And the question of question I want you to ask yourself is this, do I know this hope? It's interesting that the Apostle Paul in verse 27 uses the word mystery, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. Underline the words this mystery. I believe the Apostle Paul has introduced this word mystery deliberately. I believe he's using it as a play on the terms because the word mystery is used by the false teachers. They have got a mysterious secret, a mysterious truth that they want to share so they can initiate people into their circle. Here's the Apostle Paul, and he uses that very self-same word. And he uses it to speak about a mystery as a, a, a secret that's hidden, but is now fully revealed. And what is the mystery all about? What is this hidden secret that's now been fully revealed? And the answer is Christ. The answer is the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is, is called a mystery. It's something that's been hidden to the heart and mind of individuals. It, it has not been revealed to them. It's not something that's attainable by oneself. Could I tell you that this um, secret that's been hidden down through the ages, that has now been fully revealed, um, it can't be uh, known by human intellect alone. It can't be known by searching or investigation. It can't be known by learning or by scholarship. That's the root meaning here. It's been hidden from the natural man. It's been hidden from the natural mind. And it's something that's only revealed by the grace and goodness of God. That is revealed by divine revelation. Can I say tonight that men, with all their searching and all their knowledge, you think of men with all knowledge that's attainable to them, all knowledge that's obtained by them in so many areas and so many fields, medically and technologically, etc., as that man searches diligently for that knowledge, he, he, he can attain that. He can obtain that. 
but he cannot find this hidden secret. He can't find this mystery all by himself. It has to be revealed to him. You see, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 3 and verse 10, he made this statement. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. Verse 11, there's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. The gospel, the true knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ, remains outside of the ability of any individual. Even a scholarly sinner has no ability in and of himself to fully grasp or understand this mystery. It has to be revealed to him. And without that divine revelation and the grace and goodness of God, it will always remain a hidden secret to fallen man. He'll not be able to see it. He'll not be able to understand it. The great John Calvin of Geneva, whenever he produced his Institutes of Christian Religion, there's two volumes in my porter cabin at the back of the church, he was aged 26. And he said this in the opening chapters of the Institutes, that the greatest knowledge of all, the greatest knowledge that you can know, is the knowledge of God. And of course, the second great knowledge that you can know is the knowledge of oneself. And in these two things, the knowledge of God and the true knowledge of self, hangs everything else. And I say tonight, from this point of view, that natural man cannot know God by himself. Not even by searching for God can he know God. A natural man cannot know the gospel. He cannot know Christ. The knowledge of God, the good news of the gospel, the person and work of Christ must be all communicated by divine revelation to fallen man. And that brings scholarly sinners and, and every other type of sinner uh, to the place where he's need before God. It sweeps away his arrogance, his conceit, and the pride of every fallen sinner. That's what Paul is saying here. This mystery, the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of Christ, it has been revealed by divine revelation. You see, what does a blind man need tonight? Well, he needs to be made to see. In other words, he needs illumination. Oh, not just information, but he needs illumination. What does a dead man need? A dead man needs more than reformation. You can dress him up, you can sit him up, but he needs regeneration in order to live again. He needs the infusion of life, and it's God that gives that light. It's God that gives that life. And the gospel is a, a saving revelation of Jesus Christ. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says there in a favorite verse, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying here. 
That's the certainty here of this hope. I want you to think, secondly, of the centrality here, if you think of the essence of this hope. What is the core of true Bible-believing Christianity? Let me sum it up, folks, in one word. Christ. The word Christ here is a title. Christ is God's anointed prophet to teach and tell us the way of salvation. God's anointed priest, the one who intercedes for us and offers the sacrifice. God's anointed king, the one who's the right to rule and to reign. And over there in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1 and verse 1, we uh, read these words. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. You see, this hidden secret that was revealed by God, that natural man can't know apart from divine revelation, this mystery at its core and center lies the person and work of Christ. That is the center of what every true church must stand for. An old professor one time was teaching his students. He was asking for a definition of Christianity, and they were giving different answers. Christianity, going to church, offering prayer, reading the Bible, being a follower of Jesus, adhering to the Reformed and Protestant faith, followers of the Sermon on the Mount, living by the golden rule of love, and he said to all of these things that the students mentioned that it wrote up on the board, there's one word missing. And the word is Christ. He wrote the word Christian up on the board. He said, now let me take away Christ out of the word Christian. What are you left with? You're left with three letters. I A-N. What does I-A-N, don't think of a proper noun called Ian. I-A-N stands for I am nothing. Without Christ, every sinner stands before God and he has to make this confession, I am nothing, nothing without Christ. You see, Jesus Christ is central. Now, now why do I emphasize the centrality of this hope? Because in the past 20 years, folks, there's a new gospel has begun to emerge. And it's here in Northern Ireland. And it's not found in apostate churches or in liberal churches. There's a new gospel being peddled by some within the professing evangelical church. And that gospel is in danger of leaving Christ out, of sidelining Christ. You see, I've drove around Belfast and other parts of her province and I've looked at the billboards in different churches. Always fascinates me what a church is putting on its billboard. And here's some of the signs that have been put outside churches. What is your life worth? You matter to God. You're special to God. Now I've seen some of these billboards outside churches bearing these signs and I've said to myself, but that's not the gospel. That's a symptom of the age in which we live. It's not even a text of scripture. You see, it's, it's decentralizing Christ. And what Northern Ireland needs more than anything else, you need preachers that preach Christ. I'm not here to preach principles 
or a set of rules. I'm not here to build up your self-esteem or to give you ten top tips to do this or that. Uh, There's a place for realizing your own life's worth before God. Uh, And a place for realizing that if you're genuinely in Christ by virtue of saving union with him through faith, you're special to God and your life then does matter. But not at the expense of decentralizing Christ. And you see, I believe that in many places, Christ is being put on the outside. Remember what we read in the book of Revelation to the church of the Laodiceans? This is what the Lord Jesus said. He said this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. That was addressed Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. The angel was told, Write these things, saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know. You see, Christ knew he was being shoved out, he was being decentralized. And I want to say this is not a theory, this is a central truth, because Christ is the very essence of the Christian's hope. And Christ can only be known by divine revelation. Think of this title, Christ, the anointed prophet, the one who comes to teach and tell you the way of salvation. Christ, the anointed priest, the one who makes intercession for you as on the basis of offering the sacrifice. Christ is the intercessor. Christ has become the sacrifice. But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. Christ is God's anointed king, the king with the right to reign and rule now. And he's got a kingdom, a kingdom of grace now and a kingdom of glory that's going to come. And here's the apostle Paul and he's a minister. And he's got this methodology of preaching. And what's his message? The message is Corinthians chapter 1 verse 23. We preach Christ and him crucified. Christ is the key to the book. The key to the Christian life. Christ is central in the life and witness of the church. He's key to the gospel. The good news is all about him. In 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, we read, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus come into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. There's his identity. Christ Jesus. There's his incarnation. He came into the world. God became a man. There's a mystery about the incarnation, isn't it? Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. And there's his intention. Why he came? To save sinners of whom I am chief. He came to procure and purchase eternal salvation for all who would trust him. That's the essence of the Christian's hope. There's a certainty about it, but there's a centrality about it. I want you to think also of the experience of the Christian's hope. Because notice what it says here, if you go back to Colossians, Christ in you. There's a possession here. I want to ask tonight, have you received Christ? Is he your Lord and Savior? Remember what we read in John's Gospel, but as many as received him, John 1 verse 12. To them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is more than just being like Christ. This is more than merely sharing certain things with Christ. 
This is more than having the mind of Christ. Christ in you. In other words, you have received him as Lord and Savior, and he has entered into your heart and life by faith. You can't see your heart pumping blood around your body, but you can feel it. And you can't see the living, reigning Christ, but you can sense his presence. You can experience his power by his Spirit through faith. Isn't this what the Apostle John talked about when he says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 24, And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. You see, if you've believed in Christ, if you've trusted him as Lord and Savior, and adhere to him, and rely on him alone for salvation tonight, then you've also received him into your heart and life. I want to ask the question tonight very pointedly. Has there been a time in your life when you bowed the knee to Christ? When you came to him and said, Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I'm a guilty sinner, a hell-deserving sinner. Lord, I deserve hell and damnation. Lord, save me, lest I perish. Lord, come into my heart and life. Cleanse me in the precious blood. There's the possession of Christ. Notice also there's the provision of Christ. He says here, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And it's in the context of these words, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. You see, I want you to think not only of Christ in us, but I want you to think of all the riches that Christ has, that he provides and gives to us. Do you know tonight that if you're in Christ, you possess the treasure house of heaven? That you're in receipt of the royal provision of Christ? Over there in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, the apostle Paul writing to the church said this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. This is not a philosophy. This is not a theory. This is not pie-in-the-sky stuff. This is something that's real and true. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the rich treasure house of God. And the uh, possession of Christ leads to possessing all the provision and the riches of God in Christ. Pardoned from every sin. Peace with God. A full, free, and forever justification. Being adopted into God's family. Knowing God as Heavenly Father. Jesus Christ as your elder brother. The Holy Spirit to, to comfort and strengthen you. Experiencing the regenerating power of God. Knowing uh, that you're reconciled to God. Having free access to the throne of God. Knowing the peace of God that passes understanding. And knowing that Jesus Christ is your great high priest in heaven. Who's living a life of intercession. Who's praying for you. Rejoicing that Christ is the captain of your salvation. Knowing the power of the sanctifying spirit and the word of God. And, and the joy and the assurance of one day going to heaven and one day going to home. These are only some out of the thousands of the rich blessings in Christ that 
that make up the provision of the Savior. There's an illustration told by a guy called F.B. Meyer. I want you to think of a, a widow. She had one boy. The boy left home about 15 years of age. He went off to sea. And the mummy thought, well, he'd, he'd come home sometime. She was very poor, and she didn't know how she was going to make ends meet. And she decided that she would devise means. She turned her house into a guest house. And she worked hard for many, many years, and many years had passed, and her boy never returned home. Her back was stooped with working hard. Her hands were sore. And hard work was written all over her face. One day, a, a sailor in his late thirties came, asked for a room. He was uh, bearded, and she said, "Well, I only have one room." Boy said, "I'll take it." She asked him to pay in advance, and he paid the price. And she took him to see this room. And the boy stood at the door, and he looked in. He looked at the few possessions. It was the way he had left it. He went to the window and he sat at the window and he began to look out. And the woman who was at the door said to him, you're very familiar. I think I know you. Do I know you? And he turned round and he looked at her from the window and he said, Ma, I'm your son. I've come home, Ma. I have heard about you from other sailors. And I'm here to help. And I've been away and I've made lots of money, Ma. And all my riches, ma, are now yours. So we'll pay off your debt. And I will help you to run this guest house. And you'll have use of all my resources until the end of your days. That's what the Lord Jesus is saying to us tonight. He's our help. He's our happiness, our health. He's our hope. The provision of Christ. But think about the preeminence of Christ. It says here in Colossians 1 verse 17 that in all things he might have the preeminence. You see, he's Lord of lords and King of kings. And the indwelling Christ, when he comes into your life to be your Lord and Savior, you can't divide Christ. He can't be your Savior without being your Lord. He can't be your Lord without being your Savior. He comes in as King of kings and Lord of lords. He comes in to reign and rule in your life, to take over control of your life. You think of a car. I've got an old car sitting down at the house. Think of a car sitting outside the garage. The car's stationary. The car doesn't move. It hasn't been started. It hasn't got life in it. What does it need? It needs a driver. It needs a controller. It needs someone to start it up and, and to drive it. And, and, and once we're found in saving union with Christ, we discover not only a wonderful provision of Christ, but, but we know something of his preeminence. And, and that leads to the power of Christ. Christ in you, the power of Christ in and through you. You see, it's only through Christ you can face the darkness and the difficulty. It's only through Christ you can face the distress, the discouragement, the disturbance, the despair. Maybe that's you tonight. And you're saying, how can I cope? I can't take this anymore. We're now in a third lockdown. Well, I want to say tonight, if you're in Christ and you possess Christ, and you've got the provision of Christ and your eyes in the preeminence of Christ and in the power of Christ. Here's how. We who are in Christ, who are living for Christ, can do everything through Christ which strengthen us. One day we'll go to be with Christ. There's the experience of the Christian's hope. One last thought. I want you to think about the expectation of the Christian's hope. He mentions here 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, for every Christian, there's the promise of glorification one day. There's the surety of glory. He's thinking about heaven. We're assured of an entrance into heaven as if we were there. Those who die in Christ go to be with Christ, which is far better. And the hope of glory, of course, can refer also to the uh, second coming of Christ, his personal and visible return to this earth, his personal and visible reign in his millennial kingdom, where all things that have been wrong in the world will be righted. Are we not urged to pray in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come? See, remember, it's a kingdom of grace now. But it's also a kingdom of glory. And that word glory is used in a wide variety of different ways. But here's the subject, the hope of glory. It's sure and certain. We're certain of the promise of glorification one day. We're, we're, we're assured of the promise of heaven one day. We're assured of the promise of Christ's personal visible return to take up his reign of glory on this earth. So there's a security attached to this surety. It's real and it's significant. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1 and 5 says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye have heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. A hope that's centered in the gospel. A, a hope in Christ that's sure and certain, that's real, that, that's based on truth. And that hope is what? The hope of glory. Can I ask as we close tonight, do you have any hope? Hope that's sure and certain. Hope that's secure. What will happen to you when you die? One day you will die. One day you'll leave this scene of time. You'll be taken from all that you hold dear. What about your precious soul? Where will your soul be in eternity? Will it be with Christ? Or will it end up in hell? Remember the Lord Jesus said, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his own soul? How many are bartering their soul for the things of time and sense? Bartering their soul for the pleasures of sin for a season? Jesus said, If you die in your sins where I am, there you cannot be. But the Christian, the person who's in Christ, the person who's genuinely saved, who's received the Lord Jesus, who knows with assurance Christ in me, that person has this expectation when he dies. Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. He, he, his soul leaves the body. That's what death is. Giving up the ghost and it goes into the immediate presence of God. It awaits the day of resurrection. And then in the day of resurrection, that soul will be reunited with his body at the return of Christ. And body and soul forever will be with Christ, which is far better. There's the expectation of the Christian's hope. But I ask you again, as we close the meeting tonight, what hope have you got? The Christian's great and only hope is Christ. The essence of it is certain and central. The experience of it is sure and real. And the expectation of it is a genuine promise. And we put it to you tonight. I want you to know and experience this reality. Christ in you, the hope of glory. What do you do? Bow the knee to Christ. 
Confess your sin. Repent of it. And receive him tonight as Lord and Savior. The Lord bless you this evening. Thank you for listening.